I was excited when Taylor told me that you have been going through the parables of Jesus in the book of Matthew this summer. At Cornerstone, we've been going through the I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And I love how in both of these things, Jesus uses common everyday language to tell us about the realities of his kingdom and his righteousness. At Cornerstone, we have been dealing with these I Am statements in exploring the manifold glories of who Jesus is. And today we're going to focus on one of those statements from the Gospel of John. So please stand as I read to us from John eight twelve and from two sections of John 9 as well. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when we can no longer work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Verse 24. The Pharisees called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. And he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I have already told you already, and you would not listen. Do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God, it will stand forever. You may be seated. Well, as Christians, we talk a lot about Jesus. Who he is and what he has done is the very core of our identity. We are united to Christ. Who he is determines who we are in him. He shapes our very understanding of reality. So correctly understanding who Jesus is is vitally important. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a central hinge on which those Gospels turn. 
a central hinge in the ministry of Jesus. After following Jesus for several years, after hearing his teaching, seeing his miracles, being witness to these things, walking with him and talking with him day in and day out, there is an important interaction that Jesus has. In each one of those Gospels, Jesus asked his disciples a pointed question. He asked them, Who do people say that I am? And they answered, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Gospels are the good news about Jesus, the Son of the living God. They unpack his life and his ministry so that we might come to saving faith in his grace. And this confession from Peter serves as a hinge, an all-important turning point in the Gospels. Because we see that everything in the Gospels led up to this confession. And after this confession, Jesus turns his face towards Jerusalem and makes a long journey down toward the cross. Who do you say that I am was not only a pivotal question for the disciples, it is the most important question that all of us, that we must answer. So how would you answer the question, who is Jesus? And I bet each one of us has a different answer to that question. We all might focus on a different aspect of his character or a a beauty of his grace, a facet of his, his character that we love. And maybe you don't have a good answer to the question of who Jesus is. Well, thank goodness for John. Thank goodness for the revealed word of God. And in his gospel, John recounts several instances where Jesus told his disciples precisely who he is. Who better to tell us about Jesus than Jesus himself? We are not left alone to speculate about who Jesus is. He has clearly revealed himself to us in his word. In the gospel of John, John recounts seven I am statements of Jesus in which Jesus does use these common everyday concepts and language to describe the indescribable relationship that God has with his people. And just like the parables, he uses the language of earth to tell us about the kingdom of heaven, to tell us about himself, the king of kings. Jesus is the bread that satisfies. He is the light of the world. He is the door to life. He is the good shepherd, the only way, truth, and life. He is the resurrection and the vine on which all else depends. I love these statements because in them, Jesus is telling us directly who he is. They are Jesus revealing himself in his own words. And through our passage today, Jesus proclaims to us, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light that pierces the darkness. He is the one who reveals our hearts and the one who redeems those who are in bondage to darkness and death. And as we already heard this morning from the Gospel of John, John begins his good news about Jesus by taking us back, all the way back to the beginning. As we read in John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
John's introduction to the person and ministry of Jesus echoes and fleshes out the first verses of Genesis. In the beginning of all things, in Genesis 1-3, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. We see that our God speaks, and things are revealed. There is authority and power in his words. And by his word, he created a universe which was flourishing with light and life. But into this light, into the glory of this good creation, our first parents brought darkness and death because of their sin. Adam and Eve had lived in perfect communion and fellowship with God, but they threw all of that away, believing the lie that God was withholding goodness and joy from them. They chose to follow their own darkness apart from God instead of resting in the light of his presence. Yet we see that even in the moments after Adam and Eve plunged the world into darkness and death, God promised them light and life again. The first great prophecy of the Bible comes from God himself speaking to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. He promised them an offspring, a seed that would one day crush the works of Satan and restore right relationship between God and his people. And in the Old Testament, God's people longed and hoped for the dawning light of this salvation. They clung to prophecies like Isaiah 9-2. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And 600 years after that prophecy, 2,000 years ago, the light of the world entered his creation. Christ, the eternal living word of God, became flesh and has dwelt among us, revealing the splendor of his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John goes on to tell us that the true light, which gives light to all men, came into the world. And he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And this is the twist. This is the part of the story that we think, how could this be? The light is here. He's been fully revealed. Wait, why don't these people see? And this is the great tragedy of history. The very God who created the universe by the word of his power, who lived among us with the light of his love and grace, was not recognized by his own people. In fact, we hated him, mocked him, scorned him, and killed the very one who revealed himself as the saving light of life. Israel, the chosen people of God, had been longing for the Messiah. And when he appeared, they rejected him. They of all people should have received him, but instead they despised and crucified him. And we have to ask ourselves, why? How could they not see their God? Why did they hate his light? And the answer is because they loved living in the darkness. Jesus is the true light who exposes and reveals the hearts of men. And the problem with the hearts of men is that they are dark with sin. And hate the light of God. In John 3.19, Jesus tells Nicodemus, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And without the Holy Spirit, our hearts would be dark. 
full of evil continually. The light of Christ exposes the darkness of our hearts, darkness that we would rather not have revealed or brought to the light. I went to seminary at Charlotte, at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina, and in those years that we were there, if I heard a scream from my wife in our apartment, I knew it could be only one thing. I knew that there must be a cockroach somewhere in our apartment. And it was my duty as a husband then to chase down the cockroach, squish it with the shoe, and flush it down the toilet. And we learned to hate cockroaches. (laughs) Cockroaches are nasty, disgusting insects. They love the darkness. And they come out at night to do all kinds of mischief, and and they scatter as, as soon as you turn the light on. They hate the revealing light. And just like those cockroaches, before we received Christ, we were all like these disgusting insects who scatter when a light is turned on. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, enemies of God and enemies of his light. In 1 Corinthians 4, we read that even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Without the supernatural work of the Spirit, all of us would still be blind to the things of God. Those who do not belong to God cannot come into his light without fear, without anger, without hatred and pain. And we see this from the Pharisees in John chapter 9. A great miracle was performed. A man who was born blind had received his sight. This was a great miracle. This was a miracle that could only come from God. Yet in this passage, they become more and more entrenched in their anger, in their bitterness, and in their hatred of Jesus. I have often, growing up in the church, looked at the Pharisees and thought, you guys are idiots. Come on. Why can't you see that Jesus is right in front of you? God himself is standing in your midst doing so many signs and wonders and miracles. If I saw these things, I would never doubt. Yet here I am today with so much more knowledge of the glorious redemptive plan of God. I have his very word at my fingertips to guide and sustain me. And I doubt and I fear and I run from him constantly. I am often blind to the power and the presence of God. The eye of my heart, my own lamp, is my greatest problem. As Jeremiah tells us, the heart is is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We all have to understand that sin deceives. It blinds, it numbs us to the realities of who God is and the truth of who we are in relation to him. It offers us an alternative to trusting and relying on the goodness of God. And it it tempts us to establish our own kingdom and rest in our own authority and righteousness. And without the intervention of God, ripping the scales from the eyes of our hearts in Christ, we would be blinded to death. And we would go to that death like a frog in a pot, happy, warm, and oblivious. Christ has revealed himself to dark and rebellious hearts, and thank the Lord he has brought with him his healing. I love reading about the miracles of Jesus. I love that he couldn't help but heal and restore the broken. 
His miracles flowed from his very being. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And so the words and actions of Jesus are so intertwined that we can't ever really separate the two. His words carried true power, and his actions displayed the authenticity of his claims. He taught the people about the coming kingdom of God, the blessedness of its glory, and then performed miracles that revealed those future kingdom realities. And of his more than 25 specific acts of healing recorded for us in the Gospels, Jesus healed blindness more than any other physical infirmity. And this alone reveals that Jesus is the Messiah of God. One author notes, The Old Testament does not contain a single example of a miraculous healing of permanently blind eyes. That all changed with the coming of Jesus, and that ability proved his identity. The Hebrew people understood that the coming Messiah would be identified as the one who could restore sight to the blind. In Israel's history, as recorded in the Old Testament, people had been healed from leprosy and other maladies. Three times the dead had been raised to life, but the restoration of sight was the sole purview of the Messiah predicted by the prophets. And I love that in Luke 4, the first recorded sermon that we have from Jesus is a public sermon in the synagogue. He stood up in Nazareth and read from Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And this is what we call one of those boom, mic drop, mic drop moments. Because God is revealing himself through the person of Jesus. Christ is revealing himself as the one Messiah sent from God to restore and redeem those who are broken and lost. And not only is he proclaiming these things, he had the power to back up that claim. He healed the blind, something that only God could do. When the Pharisees were reviling this man whom Jesus had healed, he was given boldness to answer them. This man, this, this outcast who had not been able to see for all of his life, was given the boldness to speak truth back to these Pharisees. In verse 30, he replied, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the beginning of the world has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And we see through this passage that Jesus is the most polarizing person to ever walk this earth. Some, when they approach him, will revere him as their Lord and God, and others will revile him as a very demon of hell. And the closer we get to him, the more polarizing he becomes. The light of the world exposes our hearts. And when we are exposed by him, we will either turn in, in fear and hatred, loving our darkness rather than the light that he offers. We will reject him. 
or we will run to his light to be rid of our burdens, seeing him as beautiful and the only way to life. Not only does the light of Christ expose our sinful hearts, but graciously, it also takes our sin away. We see that Jesus is the redeeming light of the world through this passage. The light of Jesus is glorious with eye, for, with the, to those with eyes to see. It burns away our sin. It makes us new. It gives us a right relationship with God. In him we find the light that conquers our darkness. In John 1.5, we read that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In the end, the light always wins. Jesus always wins. 1 John 2 tells us that this world and its desires and its darkness are passing away. But the one who does the will of God, who is connected to the light of Christ, will live forever. His light brings us hope. And look at the hope that this man who was born blind received from Christ. He went away blind, but he came back seeing. He said, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I love this parallel symbolism that we get through this passage of the the healing of physical blindness and the restoration of our own spiritual sight. Just as this blind man couldn't heal himself or restore himself, so too we are dependent on the grace of God to heal and restore our hearts. In the beginning, God spoke light into being by the very word of his command. And in the same authoritative, miraculous manner, he calls us into the redeeming light of his life. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 tells us that for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God speaks and things are revealed. There is authority and power in his words. And by his authority, he created a, a universe and a world flourishing with life and light. And by his word, he redeemed sons and daughters into light of his grace. There is an illumination that takes place at our conversion, an awakening of the heart to see the new life in the Spirit. And this is not of our own doing, any more than physical light had any hand in its own inception. It's the creative power of God that bursts into our dark hearts and infuses us with life. Jonathan Edwards called this a divine and supernatural light immediately imparted to the soul by the Spirit of God. In John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we see that God not only removes our sin, our darkness, but he also restores us to the light. He both removes and he restores He takes away our darkness so that he can give us his light. The fourth verse of Charles Wesley's hymn, And Can It Be, says this. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. I love this imagery. When we were bound in sin and the natural darkness that made us dead to reality, God looked on us in mercy. 
And that loving gaze of our Father effectually kindled a blaze of glory that made us alive. It tore through the bounds that held us and freed and animated our affections to follow and love him. And this is what we call irresistible grace. When a heart is awakened by his light and cannot do anything other than worship God and follow him. In the Gospels, Jesus rarely used the same means to heal blindness. And I find this fascinating. In a few cases, he touched eyes directly. Another time, he spit on a man's eyes and worked in stages. To others, he spoke, and that opened the eyes. And in this instance, which is probably the strangest, he placed saliva mud on this man's eyes and asked him to go and wash to receive his sight. And in much the same way, the Lord employs various means to draw us to himself. He works uniquely in each of us, healing our spiritual blindness with his tailored love. It's amazing that God takes you and me, who are sinful storms of darkness, and he actually delights in us. He brings us into his light and places his love and healing touch upon us. When we were those cockroaches who hated God and his light, God gave us the right to become children of God, to call him Father, to enter into his radiant presence and to share in his love and joy and peace. And this privilege has nothing to do with our competence. It has nothing to do with our own ability. We cannot deserve it. It comes to us only through the free gift of his redeeming love. And love us he does. Look at the love of Jesus to this man. When Jesus heard that this man had been cast out by the Pharisees, when he was rejected by his own people, just as Jesus was rejected, Jesus found him. And he approached him in tenderness. And he says to him in verse 35, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said, You have seen him, and he it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus didn't just heal this man of blindness. He made him a disciple. He cleansed his heart as well so that this man might worship him, that he might know him. Jesus cared for this man, not only in his body, but in his heart and soul. He brought him into a relationship with himself and loved him. The redeeming love of Jesus is always transformative. It leads us to worship and it leads us to work. We are called the first fruits of his new created order. And we are called to bring his light to the world. We are called to follow him, to continue his mission of renewal. He is the light of the world, and he has called us to reflect his light to this darkness. God's work in this world is always a freeing, a restorative, a redemptive work. And just as we see that Jesus' ministry called forth future restoration of paradise— so too our lives should be a reflection of the future realities of the love of heaven. Our words and our works are not to be mutually exclusive. Our works should proceed from the love of Jesus and bear witness to our faith. We are to be both proclaimers and doers of the the word. And if Jesus is the capital L light of the world, he has made us to be little l lights of the world. He says to us in Matthew 5, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a lamp under a basket, but on a stand, 
and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Peter writes to us, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Paul tells us that we are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but keep, us, but keep awake and sober. In Colossians 1, he tells us he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. In Romans 13, he tells us the hour has come. The hour has come to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So let us cast off then the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. As children of the light, we are called to be witnesses in the dark to the wonderful truth of who Jesus is. And we do this by exposing the darkness around us for the evil that it is. We lament the brokenness first of ourselves. And then we lament the brokenness of those around us, our society and our world. We do this by speaking truth of our own failings and sins, of the love and redemptive power of Christ and the overwhelming grace that he has given to us. We not only lament and mourn in this life, but we have hope. We can enter this darkness with the hope of Christ's light living in and through us. We are called to orient our hearts to him, to Christ who loved, his, loved us and gave himself up for us. We are to be his ambassadors in this world. We are to live lives of hope, walking humbly with God in order that others might see Christ in us. We are called to run to Jesus. And I urge you to run to Jesus. He knows your suffering and sorrows. He knows your guilt and your grief. He knows your terrors and your tears. He knows your failings and your feeble heart. And what he does with that, he doesn't condemn us. But he gives us his life and light. He gives us his power. He lives to intercede and advocate for us. And he will come again. He has promised us that he will bring perfect justice and peace. So in times such as these, we can take heart. The darkness we see around us now, it will lift. All things will be made right. The wrongs that destroy life and pervert peace will die in the light of his glory and grace. Our God, our King is coming soon, and he will reveal all things at the end. And he will take all spiritual darkness, and forever he will cast it away from the universe. And we will live with him in a new heavens and a new earth where there will be light and peace forevermore and no more darkness. And the light of Christ gives us that hope. God has a plan for us, a purpose in bringing us into his family. He never lets us wonder if we're loved or needed. His light can give us confidence. In 1 John 2, 8, the Lord tells us that this darkness that we see now is passing away. And the true light is already shining in our hearts. 
we have been given this light of life, and we've been called to shine forth. And so my challenge to you this week is to be that. Be the light of Christ. Who can you expose Christ to this week? Who has God put in your, in your life that you might reveal the light of his love and the glories of his grace? I pray that we would all have eyes that are open to see those in need around us and offer to them the restoration that comes in Christ. And may we all sing joyfully when confronted by a blinded world. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. Our sight has been restored to us. That we may see God clearly and take comfort in his heart for us. And our sight has also been restored so that we can lead other blind beggars to his healing hands and cleansing grace. We read from Isaiah 42 earlier, and this is the promise that God gives to his people. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prisons, those who sit in darkness. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know, in paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light, and the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, so that you may see. And Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy and all the prophecies of God. So when those around us ask about Jesus, who he is, who we say he is, May we with confidence proclaim he is the revealing and redeeming light of the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have loved us. You have placed your love upon us from before the creation of the world, and you have given to us Christ as the guarantee of that love and salvation. Christ, you have entered into your own creation. You have entered this world as Emmanuel, God with us, taking on our nature, dying as one of us for us, revealing yourself as our salvation. And Spirit, you are with us now, interceding and advocating for us. Spirit, you are with us now, revealing the truth of the scriptures to our hearts and minds in the midst of this dark world. And Lord, we pray that you'd be with us as we go from this place out into a world which is hard, which is cold, which is dark. May we be lights that bring joy and peace and the fruit of your spirit. May we love others well around us. May we offer them the hope that we ourselves have been given. We thank you that you love us and that you restore us to yourself. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Please stand.